the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ruth. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God will use good things and difficult things to bring us to a place of surrender a place of humility, a place of contrition. And so as you look at your own life, you can probably look at different times when you realize, yeah, there was a period of time in my life where I wasn't right with God, and man, he put the squeeze on and got my attention in a quick way. So God will do this from time to time. And the Bible says that he will sometimes use famine to bring that kind of correction to his people, and that's likely what he was doing here. In life, we go through many seasons throughout our childhood and adulthood. In every season, there are highs and lows that we endure. We will always be constantly dealing with something, whether good, bad, or just normal life. The hope and promise we get is that God will use all of it. He can and will use all your difficult times and times of great joy. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that the Lord utilizes any and every opportunity or divine placement that He can in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Here we are in Ruth chapter 1. Let me give a little bit of a background to the book of Ruth as I normally do whenever we start a new book, just a few bullet points before we read and pray and dive into our study. Uh, Ruth is the first of two books named after a woman, Ruth, and then the other book is Esther. So this is a unique category here. Uh, She is a Gentile, as we will see in this story. And in particular, she is a Moabite. She lives in the land of Moab, or actually in Hebrew it's pronounced with a V, Moab. And so she is not a Jew. She is a Gentile. And as a descendant of the Moabites, we'll talk more about um, her lineage in a moment. The writer of this book is unknown. She's not the writer of this book. This book is about her. But the Jewish Talmud says that Samuel... Uh, was the writer, the prophet Samuel, was the writer of the book of Ruth. But we don't know that for sure because the writer's not identified anywhere in this book. The location of these events that we're going to read through the book of Luke is mainly Bethlehem. They will, uh, this family that we're going to read about in the opening chapter takes a detour into Moab, but um, the story primarily takes place in Bethlehem. The time of, of events. The book of Ruth fits somewhere early in the book of Judges. If you glance real quickly in your Bibles at chapter 1, verse 1, 
It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So what that tells us is that the book of Ruth fits somewhere into the book of Judges that we just finished. And it is likely that it fits early in the book of Judges because the book of Judges covers 400 years. And um, the reason why it likely fits early in the story of the Judges is because Ruth ends up marrying a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz's mother is Rahab. It's the same Rahab who was the prostitute in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 2. She gets saved. She, gets, she becomes a proselyte to Judaism. She herself also, uh, Rahab, is a Gentile. Rahab is a prostitute. And, and God redeems her life. She becomes a proselyte to Judaism. She marries a Jew and has a son named Boaz. And then uh, Boaz here is going to end up marrying Ruth. So we see here in, in where this, would, this story would be placed, it has to happen early in the book of Judges because we got a reference to the book of Joshua. So it all ties together between Joshua and the book of Judges. And so that's the background. I'm going to read uh, the first five verses. We'll, we'll pray and then uh, we'll dive into our study together today and see how far we get, hopefully at least through, through chapter one. It says this, verse one, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. So Judah's like the, think of it as like the county, that the region, Bethlehem is the, is the town. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Ephrathah, by the way, is an ancient name for Bethlehem. So that's this region, that's the town that they're from. It says, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Let's pause there and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word, and we pray as we open up this story of Ruth, that over the next several weeks you will speak to our hearts through the pages of Scripture, and Lord, that you would use this story to Just encourage us, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for a story of love and redemption. And we we pray that this would speak to us even today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So here we are now coming to the book of Ruth. It is very different from the book of Judges. You remember that the book of Judges was really characterized by that one verse that was repeated a few times in the book of Judges. In those days, there, were, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In fact, if you just glance backwards, that's the way that the whole book of Judges ended, the very last sentence of the very last chapter. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So it was a period of time when there was no king. And again, the story of Ruth is inserted somewhere during that period, a period of time when even though there was no earthly king, God was supposed to be their king, but the people did not acknowledge God as their king. 
and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. So as a result, there was this unrestrained behavior and there was this reckless morality throughout the nation of Israel at this particular time. But what we learn when we read the book of Ruth is something encouraging, that while these things were happening in the foreground during this particular time, that is to say these things being godlessness and reckless morality, while these things were happening in the foreground, there was another story that God was weaving in the background. There was another story that was unknown until we read it here in the book of Ruth that God has determined to actually extrapolate from the time period of the frame of the the period of the book of Judges so that it stands alone as a story that we can see all by itself. That in the middle of this godlessness, this reckless morality is a story about love and redemption. It is a story about love and redemption. And when we come here to chapter 1, the first things that we are introduced to is a family and a famine. There's a family that is mentioned here, and we find out that there is a famine that is affecting their lives. And so as God has chosen to separate this story out from the book of Judges, rather than, you know, I'm glad that he didn't give it to us in the middle of the book of Judges, because it would have been like a downer and then an upper and then another back to the downer. Like he took out this story all by itself so that we can see a wonderful story of love and redemption. We're introduced to this family here in the first five verses. The husband's name is Elimelech. His name in Hebrew is from two words, El for the name of God. Melech is the Hebrew word for king. His name together means my God is king. He is married to a woman. Her name is Naomi. Her name in Hebrew means pleasant or delightful. So these are two Jewish people here. This is a Jewish story. They get married and they have two sons and they are mentioned here in this first chapter, verse 2 also. And their two sons don't have such wonderful names like mom and dad do. You know, here dad is Elimelech, my God is king, and Naomi is pleasant or delightful. Son number one is Malon. His name means weak or sick. (laughs) Yeah. And his his brother is no better. The second son here, Kilion, his name means tired or dying. (laughs) I'm not making this up. So here you have these two boys, you know, sick and tired, right? You know, I could just hear the two of them in unison, like, we're sick and tired, you know, and, and there's nothing to eat around here. Yeah, there's nothing to eat because there's a famine. You know, we're down to celery and cheese whiz. So like, please, God, do something. And so they're complaining here about, you know, their conditions. There's a famine in Israel at this particular time. They are sick and tired. Now, they have a... They have, uh, you know, a famine going on, and it doesn't tell us in the passage how long the famine lasts, nor does it tell us how widespread the famine is. What it does tell us is that it has um, contributed to hardship, obviously, for this family. And so in order to escape the famine, they've gone to the land of Moab. Bethlehem, this is where this story mainly takes place. Bethlehem's about five miles south of Jerusalem. And Moab is the region east of the Dead Sea. So if you were to look at a map today, this would be the country of Jordan. This is where 
they are going to end up going to escape the famine that is at least there in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem in Hebrew is from two Hebrew words, Beit Lechem, which means house of bread. And it was known as the house of bread because wheat was harvested there. Uh, because such great quantities of wheat was harvested there that they would make bread. It was like the bread basket of, of Israel at this time. So how ironic that at the place called the house of bread, there was no bread. There was famine in the land. And so this family affected by famine, they're starving to death. And, you know, the boys already have one foot in the grave. You know, they're sick and tired. You're like, they're, they're almost already there. We're going to see here, you know, in, in the rest of the story that they do end up dying. But they go to the land of Moab to escape this famine. Now, the Bible tells us that oftentimes when famine would strike the land of Israel, it was as not because of natural disasters necessarily. A lot of times it was because of God's correction that God would actually withhold the rain as an indication of his displeasure and his desire to correct the people, and he would use famine to accomplish that. The Bible says in Ezekiel 14, verse 13, listen, Ezekiel 14, 13, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, I will stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it. So God clearly says to the prophet Ezekiel there in Ezekiel 14, 13, that oftentimes famine came upon the land because it was God's corrective hand. And that explains exactly the spiritual climate and condition of the people of Israel during the period of the judges. Because if you've been with us through the period of the judges, our Bible study, they had that cycle of sin. They would follow after God, then they would start to worship the pagan gods of the nations around them. God would send the nations around them as a disciplinary action to correct them. Then they'd cry out under their hardships to God. God would raise up a judge, a military leader. Then they would get right with God again, and they'd have a time of peace. So there was this time, this cycle through the period of the judges, where the people were not living for God. There was, there was periods of times when they would, but there was a great number of years when they wouldn't. And God would bring his disciplinary action upon them to correct them, to turn them towards him. Look, God will still sometimes bring discipline to our own lives through difficulties, sometimes through hardships. That isn't to blame every single difficulty that you've encountered on, you know, God is just trying to correct you, okay? There are some things that happen in our lives just because we live in a fallen world, and it has nothing to do with disciplinary action from God. But there are times when in order to get our attention, God will bring difficulties. He will allow hardships to come into our lives to correct us, to get us to the place where we are at the bottom of ourselves so that we will finally look to him. And God will use good things and difficult things to bring us to a place of surrender a place of humility, a place of contrition. And so as you look at your own life, you can probably look at different times when you realize, yeah, there was a period of time in my life where I wasn't right with God, and man, he put the squeeze on and got my attention in a quick way. So God will do this from time to time. And the Bible says that he will sometimes use famine to bring that kind of correction to his people, and that's likely what he was doing here uh, in, at this particular time with um, with, with the nation of Israel. And so the scene here is Bethlehem, this family, and because of this famine, they leave Bethlehem for a time. It says for 10 years there in verse 4. 
and they go to the land of Moab. And when they go to the land of Moab, the two boys, sick and tired, they end up marrying two Moabite women. One is named Orpah. Her name means fawn or gazelle. And the other one that they marry, the other son marries Ruth. Now, in Hebrew, her name is pronounced without the TH sound. It's, it's pronounced root, almost like, like the root of a tree. That's how her name is pronounced, root. And her name translates friendship. It's a beautiful name. It translates friendship. So sick and tired, marry gazelle and friendship. All right? But dad dies, and not too long thereafter, sick and tired die too. And so now you have these three women who are left as widows. You have Naomi, kind of the matriarch of this small little family here, with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And so, verse 6, then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So, you know, she's in Moab, but she's hearing back home in Bethlehem, the famine is over, and God has brought bread again. And so verse 7, therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And so she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your People. Now remember, they are Moabites, Orpah and Ruth. Let me tell you a little bit about the Moabites. The Moabites were children of incest. If you remember the story in Genesis 19 about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family was the only righteous family within Sodom and Gomorrah. And God spared Lot and his family, sent a couple of angels, and one in particular, who would literally take them by the hand and escort them out of Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed those twin cities and brought judgment upon those twin cities because of their sexual sin, their sexual immorality. Lot and his uh, two daughters and his wife escape. Um, you know the story about how Lot's wife turned back, looked with longing. She, she was turned into a pillar of salt. So Lot just went on with his two daughters, and Mrs. Lot did not join them. She was left as a pillar of salt. Um, but this weird thing happens, okay? In those days, um, a, a woman who was without a husband and, and thus childless um, often fell upon hard times and ended up in poverty because in those cultures, uh, women were very dependent upon a man to provide for them. When the daughters of Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah with their father, it is believed that they thought that seeing as Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, there were no other men, which, is, which wasn't true, but they're thinking, you know, where, do, where are we going to find a husband? So the Bible says that they do a, a very despicable thing. They get their father drunk. That's not the despicable part of it, per se. They get their father drunk, and the one daughter sleeps with her father, has, has, commits incest with him. 
She gets pregnant. Then later, the next daughter does it also. She gets pregnant. And the children born to the one daughter, the son born to the one daughter is named Ben-Ami. And from that boy's descendants come the Ammonites. The other son born to the other daughter who had sexual relations with her father Lot was named Moab. The Moabites are descendants of an incestuous relationship. So you have to understand this because this heritage has everything to do with the background of Ruth and Orpah. And in particular, we're going to see Ruth because this is a wonderful story of love and redemption, of God's grace and how God can take a life with a bad and tragic heritage, no fault of Ruth's, and make it into a wonderful story of redemption. So, you know, the rest of this story is yet to be told, and you'll see it unfold as we make our way through the book of Ruth. But they're Moabites. Moabites, again, not Jewish, they're Gentile, they're heathen. They're so heathen, the principal god of the Moabites was a god by the name of Chemosh. Chemosh is mentioned in the Bible. And part of the worship of Chemosh was child sacrifice. As a result of the Moabites being descendants of an incestuous relationship and the fact that they also practiced the worship of child sacrifice, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, that no Moabite was ever allowed into the house of the Lord from the time a Moabite was identified down to 10 generations following. God even put a restriction on the Moabites even being allowed in the temple court area, let alone in the temple itself. They couldn't get in there because they were Gentiles. But no Moabite could come near the temple of the Lord down to the 10th generation. So these were a people who were very ostracized. These were a people who were considered um, very inferior in terms of their relationship to the Jewish people. Um, They had, obviously, a very tainted past as a people, as a group. Um, Again, no fault of their own. It's just what happened, you know, as a result of their heritage, their ancestry, coming from this incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And so that's the background. And you need to understand that because the redemption is that much more wonderful when you know how tainted the background is. And, And so... Naomi is urging her daughters-in-law, don't go with me to Bethlehem. You're, you're from the land of Moab. These are your people. The, the, you worship your gods here. Um, stay here. You're, you're better off here than going with me. And so that's, that's what she urges them. And so she kissed them. They lifted up their voices. They wept, verse 10, and they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Like, you know, she's like, it's not like I'm going to be able to find a husband myself and have children. I'm getting up there in age now because she's already had two full-grown children and got married, two full-grown sons. So she's like, it's not like I can repeat this over again. And and then the age difference for you marrying my future sons, like, this isn't going to happen. So why are you following me? She says, verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them? till they were grown like this isn't even you know feasible here would you restrain yourselves from having husbands 
You know, in other words, would you would you refuse to get married because you're waiting for me to have birth to boys who can grow up and marry you? Like this isn't even this isn't even feasible. He says, she says, no, my daughters. Now look, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hammer. Although the following words may be familiar to you, it packs a powerful punch of loyalty in a time of great famine and war. Listen to these words from Ruth 1.16 as she is pledging to not leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And in verse 17, Ruth says, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, that's commitment right there, with a whole lot of love mixed in. Ruth decided to stay and provide for Naomi. Did you know Jesus is the same with us? He's committed to you to love and care for you. If you have questions about today's study, you can let us know at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Again, that's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a radio ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about us. That's it for today. Join us again on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.